If I haven't introduced myself yet, my name's Josh. Uh, I pastor this service alongside Roz, who's been leading us today. And we're continuing our series in Matthew, looking at different voices that we might be hearing. Tim last week talked about a voice in the wilderness, and today we're talking about a voice from heaven. Um, I've been re-watching a series this, on uh, Amazon Prime, actually, this, this week called Friday Night Lights. A show of hands, anyone ever seen Friday Night Lights? Yeah, come on. I thought those of you who've seen it will react like that, okay? But those of you who haven't will not care. But basically, it is, I don't carry the way, but basically, it's this story of a, of a town where um, American football is everything. And there's a coach, a guy called Coach Taylor. I want to be more like him in every way because he's awesome. But basically, what he says kind of goes. You've got all these lads with bravado who are really good at American football, but when coach gives them one little look, They become like whimpering little children. And there's an interesting thing about his voice and the power that his voice has. And then you've got the quarterback, who actually, in the first season, ends up being this really young guy who's not really ready for it. But when they get on the pitch, what the quarterback says goes. QB1, he's called. See, I'm even learning the lingo. And I don't know. I actually have no idea. They score points, and I go, yeah, I have no idea why. I literally know nothing about American football. But I'm enjoying the program. But today's passage is, is about one voice. A voice more powerful than Coach Taylor's, a voice more powerful than QB1. It's the voice of God and it's worth listening to. And actually today, as we unpack a small amount of verses, there's so much richness for us today and for us as we go from here. So kicking off with a bit of context from last week. So Tim spoke on the first kind of 12 verses of this chapter on John the Baptist and talking about how he was kind of, well, he was basically lolliping about the countryside in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey, but he was proclaiming a message. And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He required an action, repentance, and he was making a statement about something that was going to happen. It's in Matthew 3, verse 2. It's on the same page that you have open. I'm going to be referring to the Bible, so keep it open. I'm going to be referring to this passage a lot today and some of the bits around it um, as well. But actually, John is preaching a message that the human race has failed to get to God on their own, that sin is in the way, that they are failing in their sin, and that the kingdom of heaven has come near. People um, confessed their sins and were baptized in the Jordan River by John, but he was not claiming to be this kingdom of heaven coming near. He was not claiming to be the Messiah. He was saying, he's coming. Are you ready? And repentance was part of being ready. And then he talks about this Messiah and he says, you know, actually, what I do is really nothing compared to what this guy's going to do. I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming who is going to baptize you with holy fire. So humanity, at the start of this passage and for a long time in the Old Testament, is stuck in the failure of sin, dating back to the fall of man in Genesis, cut off, distant, punished and seen. That's where we are. That's where we are when we read this first verse, verse 13, back in our passage. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan on a mission. It's the first time we see adult Jesus. So what's he going to do? The perfect, pure son of God came, and you know the name Jesus means saviour. Then there's a saviour that's come from heaven. That's what we're thinking when we read this. From Galilee, where he grew up, to Jordan, to John. There's something interesting about that already but you see how the verse finishes and it gets a bit odd because he came to the Jordan to John too and how do you think that this verse should end if you hadn't read it before maybe you didn't know the narrative of the Bible so much how would you think that this verse should end 
Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to judge those nasty sinners, right? All the people that John was talking to to say, kingdom of God is here, Jesus is coming. That's what John was expecting. He's, expect, he's, say, he's saying the judge is coming, the judge is coming. That's what he's been saying throughout the whole of the start of this chapter. And then verse 13 says the judge is here. He's come to Jordan, but not to judge them. How else might this verse go if you didn't know or we couldn't read it here today? How else might it change? Well, maybe you'd be like, actually, maybe he's coming to baptize everyone else. This lovely scene. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Imagine the scene, Jesus holding out his arms and, and washing everyone clean and saying, you're so unclean, let me wash you. Wouldn't that be a lovely scene? But it's not what it says. Do you see how shocking what happens when we continue into verse 13 is? It says this. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John is shocked. We should be shocked too, really. It's almost like a mistranslation or a mistake. Jesus being baptized alongside sinners doesn't seem to add up. I thought the whole point was that he was God. Sinless, right? So what, what would he need that for? It's a public relations nightmare for Team Jesus. Jesus, the optics are all wrong. You've got to see how this looks. You haven't even really started your ministry yet. You're not getting off on a good foot. Your rep is going to take a real hit for this. And John gets that. Let's read. He says in verse 14, John tried to deter him. Trying to, you know, protect team Jesus. I need to be baptized by you, he says. And you come to me. Because what Jesus has done is he's joined the queue alongside those failing in sin to be baptized by John. It looks like he's a sinner. But he dives in anyway. I'm stunned by this. Pure, perfect Jesus. You know, I'm a sinner, and I do absolutely everything I can to hide that from as many people as possible. But Jesus doesn't do that here, right? He's there. He's, he's living for an audience of one. He's living for God and for, for, for his Father's approval only because he's not, you know, he knows how it does look. My, um, my three-year-old is called Ezra. Let's just say he's not that obedient quite a lot of the time. I don't know if it's me or if it's him, but you will have these kind of things where you'll be like, Ezra, put it down. Just give me a little look. Ezra, put it down. Continues to look. We're in this like face-off. Ezra, put it down. Then I play my wild card because he's still doing nothing. Ezra, would you like to go for a timeout? No, puts the priceless vase from the in-laws down and we're all okay. <laughs> Ezra doesn't show very good obedience quite often. But actually there's an obedience for Jesus here to his father. And then if we read the next verse, there's an obedience from John who clearly is not agreeing or at least is a little bit confused or is at least a little bit unsure. But it goes on to say, Jesus replied, let it be so now. He's being obedient to his father. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John's being obedient and consents. Unlike Ezra. John is quick to be obedient. Uh, obedience is all part of this too. Because actually part of Jesus being the perfect human was being the perfect son to the father. Perfectly obedient to his father. First here, probably not first here, and ultimately to the cross, obedient to death. Indulge me for a moment in a, a real football illustration. What I mean by that is not American football. I thought that would be funny. That's cool. Indulge me in a football illustration for a moment. It's like a team heading towards relegation. Let's call the team Team Earth. Bringing in a new striker. 
And as this star signing comes to his new team, he puts on the shirt, the color of his new team. He has press conferences. There's something in the paper. He, he, all, but in all of these things that he's doing, they have a photo thing. You know that thing where they're all standing there looking really excited? But in all of those, he's wearing the team colors. This star signing is wearing the shirt, which says everything I do now, every goal I score, every victory I win, I do that for your team because I'm one of you, because I'm your star. And what a picture we have here of Team Jesus, this star signing, shaking hands with the manager of Team Earth, you and me, and identifying with us where we are, because we can't identify with him where he is. Jesus saw his whole life as fulfilling all righteousness, this phrase that we get in today's passage. Think of all the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures fulfilled at his birth, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And his baptism shows us that he came to identify himself with scripture. For example, 700 years earlier, Isaiah 53 verse 2 says that the Messiah will be numbered alongside the transgressors. He would be there with, with sinners. This chapter also speaks of his coming ministry as the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the world so that others could become righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that him that knew no sin made himself sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Through him we might become the righteousness of God because Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness because as we said earlier of our failing in sin, we need somebody who is sinless to be righteous on our behalf. Jesus was identifying himself with John's ministry. John was the forerunner for the coming Messiah, for Jesus. And then Jesus shows up, and it's a handover. It's a, ha- a handover from John to Jesus. In fact, the next chapter, Jesus starts his preaching ministry, and the message has not changed. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. That's Matthew 4, verse 17. You can flick over if you want to have a look. And it's exactly the same message as John is preaching at the start of chapter 3. It's not a new message. But then we get here to the crossover point in our reading today. Jesus joined the queue of sinners lining up to be baptized. And we're about to see his family's reaction to that. Because actually what Jesus is saying here, and this is the crux of today. This is the key. This is the take home. This is the thing that I want us to identify with. More than just hearing it in our heads. But saying what that might mean in our hearts and in our responses. Jesus says, I join you in your failure so you can join me in my family. I join you in your failure so you can join me in my family. And he comes to where we are in his humanity, identifies with us because we can't go where he is in his divinity. And we access what's about to happen through Jesus by being willing to come. He's willing to identify with our mess, to join the sinner queue. Verse 16, back in the Bibles. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I join you in your failure, so you can join me in my family. First we see in these two verses, all three members of the Trinity present. We rarely see that in Scripture. God speaking. Spirit resting, Jesus center stage. In fact, the last time we see that is in creation. There's a quote coming up. J.C. Ryle says, it's the whole trinity, which at the beginning of creation said, let us make man. And it was the whole trinity again at the beginning of the gospel that seemed to say, let us save man. Come at the big moments. (laughs) 
And there's a message in that for us today. You know, we've got this thing, Jesus coming out of the water at the launch party of Jesus' mission. There they are. And the imagery coming out of this passage can't really be ignored. We've got this for, for the Jewish people, especially those reading this for the first time, they would have been thinking back to Moses leading his people out of slavery and coming out of the sea. And here we've got Jesus coming out of the water to fulfill all righteousness. It's a picture. It's a pre-picture of the saving work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. At that moment, heaven was opened. What a little half line to easily ignore but means so, so much. What a mental thing to be there. Heaven opened. Access previously denied to anyone is not denied to Jesus and heaven opens for him. This is what Jesus came to do, to open heaven for us, to restore access to God. Not because of what we can do, but by being our star signing. By coming on team earth to help us avoid relegation, temptation and giving in to temptation. Those for, just to take that one example, that's been a huge issue for Israel, for God's people for so long. And in the next chapter, you watch this star signing take on 40 days of temptation against the devil and say, guys, I've got this for you. I've got this. He's modeling perfection. And then we see if heaven opening wasn't enough, we see the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. In the Gospel of John, we read that God tells John the Baptist that's how he's going to know for certain that it's God. Says the dove will come and it will rest on him. So in that moment, John's going, I already knew, but thanks for the confirmation. This is awesome. And if that wasn't enough, then we get to today's kind of, I suppose, the theme, this key verse, verse 17. A voice from heaven. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased it's such loving words I remember as an 18 year old leaving my youth group I was in a, I was in a big youth group in a, in a big church in, in, in Nottingham and there were a few of us who'd been asked to be part of the youth team as 18 year olds as upper sixth and our youth leader aiming to honor us and it was, it was great I still remember it now I think that shows a lot but got a few of us on stage who'd been part of serving who'd been part of I guess trying to live for Jesus with everything that we had and trying to model that to our peers and he got us on stage and he basically said that and he said and if my kids end up growing up to be anything like these guys, I'll be a very proud dad. And in that moment, you're like, that affirmation meant so much to me. And it's not the only reason that I've gone into ministry. It's not probably even a a big part of it. But there's something about a voice of affirmation that leads us to be the best that we can be. It makes me want to speak affirmation over my children. It makes me want to speak affirmation over the young people here at the church. It makes me want to speak affirmation over all of you guys and to encourage, to be people that encourage because it makes such a difference. But in this passage, it's even more intense. It's even more poignant. It's the audible voice of God to his son at the start of his ministry. And the ramifications of that are huge, not just for Jesus, but by association for us. You see the intimacy here, this family love, the spirit rests God's approval of the status of Jesus, his son, he's loved, he's pleased with. That's the family, but that's the family that you and I were made for. We enter into this passage now. We're made for intimacy with God. And we can know that family intimacy through relationship with Jesus. 
Peter talked about it in one of his letters. He was, he was talking about this moment and he said there's this majestic glory and it. He was talking about actually the transfiguration that happened a little bit later, but Jesus had told them or they'd heard rumors about this moment, I'm sure. But it happens again later in the gospel where Jesus is there on a mountain and a, and a, and a voice comes again and it's a public declaration of what Jesus already knew. The honor he deserved, but In the transfiguration, it was put beyond doubt who Jesus was to Peter, James, and John, the guys that then led the church in their mission. So you've got the start and the end of Jesus' mission, this voice of approval, and the start of our mission through the early disciples, this voice of approval. There's something powerful in that. There's something that we shouldn't move on from in that. So we have failing in sin. And now we have this hope of family intimacy shown here in the Trinity. So where does it leave us? The Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new is here. And when we become Christians, we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, we receive the Holy Spirit and we have this access, this open heaven that this passage is talking about. And we partake and we step into this family intimacy, but it's more than just a holy cuddle. It enters us into this statement of what God says over his Son to be a statement that God, through Jesus, says over you and over me. The words he says for us. And then there's this amazing thing. You look at the Greek word for son in this. And actually it's a word often used for adoption. It's not gender specific. So it should make us sit up and go, this is for the church. This is for every single one of us. It should make us sit up today and say, if I'm not a follower of Jesus, I've got a choice to make here. Because if this is true, it changes everything. Because we can step into this through the cross But first, where are we? Why was John preaching repent and why did Jesus continue to do that? It's because we were failing in sin. The narrative of the Old Testament is God's people trying to get back to God and failing every step of the way. So God came to them. But because of our failing in sin, we were cut off, we were distant, we were punished. And this is where we are without Jesus. Without Jesus, none of this changes. Without Jesus, we are stuck and separated. Wandering in the wilderness, being called to repent with only relegation ahead of us. That's where we are. But then a voice from heaven comes, God to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. That's the family intimacy that we're shown in this passage. Jesus' identity in the family of God, loved, approved of, believed in, sent out. The words well pleased are similar to what God says when he looks at creation and says it's good. So before Jesus' earthly ministry, saving the lost, forgiving sins, bearing the weight of the world's sin, healing the sick, preaching forgiveness, all of this, before that, God says, it's good. I approve of this. I approve of Jesus. I approve of my son. I approve of his mission. It's part two of what John was shouting in the wilderness. The kingdom of God is here. It's him. It's Jesus. But now what? What about us? Well, like I said, we can identify with verse 17. For us, family intimacy is ours through Jesus. We're co-heirs. Everything that Jesus has, we have when we accept him into our lives. We can be intimate with God because of what Jesus has done for us and we're reconciled. We're no longer separated. A brother and sister with Christ. And we can know fulfilled relationship with God no longer feeling separated. It's liberating. And maybe this is where the voices thing is so important because so often we don't feel like this, do we? We feel shackled. We feel like actually the world's on top of us and all we hear is 
accusation or whatever, we don't feel like we know this intimacy. Maybe you've called yourself a follower of Jesus for a really long time, but actually your, your story is, I just feel shackled. I just feel like actually the voices that are coming in are more than I can cope with. Maybe this is where the voices thing is important. Jesus hears one voice, the voice of Father God. It's all that matters. The perfect son only did what the father said. At the transfiguration, the thing I was talking about earlier where Peter was up a mountain and saw Jesus in all his glory and that would have set them up for the ministry. The only thing that's different about what God says from the clouds in that moment is at the end he says, listen to him. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to my son. He holds the key. You know, being a youth pastor, I can tell you the most common question we probably have whether they say it like this or not is who am I? But I think it's the same for you and me. Like, I think it's the question that actually deep down we all ask. Who am I? It breaks people, but actually there's a key here. We look to God's word to find out who we are. Jesus is known as the word, and if we're being told to listen to him by a booming voice from the sky that is the same one mirroring this passage, then actually looking to the Bible is the only thing we should do. What does God say about you and me? So let's go through today as we begin to respond. Step one, we are failing in sin, and so we say sorry. If you're anything like me, every day. (laughs) We're willing to say sorry. I join you in your failure so you can join me and my family. Julia prayed earlier about saying sorry when we forget our status in Jesus. Maybe that's an apology for some of us as well. And step two is this family intimacy. We accept our status. I want you, Jesus, your spirit as mine, your future as mine. Because because of sin, we were cut off, distant and punished. A voice came from heaven. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And now we can enter in as a co-heir intimate with God and reconciled and our response is sorry and accepting our status some of you need to put specific verses on your mirrors at home the stuff that you know actually I have a lack of confidence in this area but that's not what God says about me put the verse that reminds you who you really are on your mirror God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love and a sound mind I'd encourage you if you're a follower of Jesus ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the lies that you're believing I guarantee there'll be a truth in God's word that will counter it. You can speak over your life. But it's so easy to be distracted or manipulated by other voices of the world. Voices of lies and fear. Voices that say we're not good enough. Voices that say we're not worthy of love or acceptance. Voices of disappointment. They're everywhere. Have you ever wondered what voices you're listening to? Are you listening to the voices of the world or the voice of God? Are you listening to the voice of lies or truth? Fear or the voice that casts out fear? Because the voice of truth that says so many things in God's word. Actually, what I'd like to do is I'm going to invite the band to come forward and I'd like us to stand and I'm going to read a few things that the Bible says. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's just just remain kind of focused in. There's something about what we're saying here to do with family intimacy, that we're stepping into more than just something that feels fuzzy and nice, but we're stepping into an identity. We're stepping into something that we have no control over, but we can totally accept as our identity in Christ. 
and the stuff that that means for us, the stuff that comes with being a co-heir, the stuff that comes with intimacy, the stuff that comes with being reconciled again to God. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. Today we can know family intimacy and say, I'm a child of God. I have been justified. It means declared righteous. We have a family status. Maybe today you need to remind yourself of that status or accept it properly for the first time. I'd encourage you as I read through these, if one of them hits home, begin to pray in your heart. Ask Holy Spirit to be speaking to you, to be shaping you, to be helping you, to be changing you. Because I'm going to read six or seven here, but I think there's some that are very specific to some people in here. So we've got child of God, declared righteous. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. We have family access. I'm confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. We have a family mission. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We have a family mindset. I'm God's workmanship, created to do good works. We have a family identity. And when I don't feel like I can own these on my own, I remind myself that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're going to sing in a minute, but hear this before we do. You're a child of God. You are loved by him. And you are good in Jesus. Jesus joined us in our failure so we could join him in his family.